Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This episode of the House of Mystery is brought to you by Legacy Food Storage. The best way to protect your family is by being prepared. Legacy Food Storage. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The biggest names in tennis are coming to Paris for the most anticipated Roland Garros in years. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled tournament access as the world's top players in tennis face off against each other. Will the veteran champions continue their dominance or will a fresh face emerge to challenge their legacy on the clay courts? Daily live coverage of this epic showdown begins Monday, May 20th. Don't miss a matchup. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Fiction, science fiction, horror, fantasy, crime, LGBT, thriller. You have now entered the house of mystery with your hosts, Eric Shapiro. David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and Al Warren. On KCB, 106.5 FM Los Angeles, 102.3 FM Riverside, and 1050 AM Palm Springs. Welcome back into the House of Mystery, and I'm Al Warren, Mr. Dave Martino. Is here. Present. He's in the house. He's not in the house. He's in the house. Look out. I'm in the basement of the House of Mystery. Yeah. Hey, did you guys watch the Golden Globes? I did not. No. You just <laughs> You are such a party pooper. Why hasn't your I wife know. left you yet? I know. What's going on with that? I don't understand it myself. What do you have on her? <laughs> it's, it's like, what? You know, she just keep the cat and throw you out. Yeah, well, you know, it could happen, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, nothing to see anyway, Golden Globes. Nobody got slapped. That's the main thing. Oh, well, that's good. Right. You know. Or maybe not. Well, it's slapping me is exciting. It gives them something to talk about. It gives the award show legs. Um, no, I, nothing too exciting in it anyway, you know. Uh, again, yeah. I'm going through all this stuff, and maybe I'm just getting too old to care. I don't know. Mm. Um just uh, didn't theory. find too much exciting. 
you know. I guess they made a joke about Tom Cruise and Scientology that didn't go oh. too well, but no, oh. I don't care, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, well, let's move on. So, yeah, so it's um, Friday. It's the big day of the the week, and uh, so now we're going to talk about being double crossed. You know all about that, don't you? Yes. Yeah. So we've got uh, an author here called Lori A. Egan. So she's written the book called Double Crossed, and let's find out. So, uh, Lori, thank you for being here. Well, thank you both for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure. Well, um, how did you um, get into this writing world? Um, as in, like, were you a person that was writing when you were a young little kid and you sort of always loved writing and, and doing stories and stuff, or was this something that came along later? Well, uh, the first thing I ever wrote was a poem, and I was seven years old, and I was sitting in my bathtub, <laughs> if you can imagine, and I screamed for my mother to please bring me a pen and pencil or something and, and paper, and she thought, of course, that uh, I was really crazy. And then I promptly wrote four stanzas. <laughs> so I started rather precociously, and then I did uh, my first novel when I was started when I was 12, and then I wrote short stories and, and poems uh, in high school. But I switched over into the visual arts for college. I went to Carnegie Mellon. And I don't know why I did this, because I was also accepted at Bennington and Bard in creative writing, which in hindsight I wish I had gone to as much as I had a great, great time at CMU. So I didn't really do a lot of writing professionally, but I was in publishing and worked as a book designer and promotion manager, design manager for many years and freelance. So my background is in publishing, which put me in a very good place to begin my professional writing career, being on the other side of the desk. Um, and I started, I guess, my first book when I was about in my 40s. And then it's really taken off in the last 10 or 15 years. Wow. So when you, um, when you, what, what, I should say that I should ask this first. What was it that actually, um, gave you the, um, let's say, put the fire under you to actually decide to write professionally? Well, I think all along, uh, being an only child and uh, sort of a bit of a solitary kid, I think, um, I think that writing was always something that was very intrinsic to my personality. It was it was a, an outlet for me uh, to sort of go through my experience and understand it. And so later in life, when I was beginning to get to the point of retirement from being a book designer, I finally sort of gave myself permission to start writing seriously and, and in longer form. I did do a lot of short stories and poems, and they were published in literary journals. And then I did a collection of short stories and my first uh, poetry volume. Uh, so it just sort of continued from there. And then when my mother died, which which is was a sad event, obviously, but it was also freeing in the sense that um, it allowed me not to have her looking over my shoulder and thinking, oh, don't write that. <laughs> so, um, you know, I really, really took off when I was a bit older and uh, have been working very hard ever since. 
Well, that's that's a good thing. So, do you, when you said you wished you went to that creative writing um, instead of um, what you were doing, um, do you think it's really important to be, let's say, um, schooled in writing? Not necessarily. Uh, however, I think that if I had gone to Bennington, for example, with their track record at that time, I would have been, you know, a graduate and I would have been put into the whole New York City uh, connection through the professors at Bennington, um, all of whom were published writers. And that would have put me on the path right early on, whereas when you're trying to get on that path, as a, an older adult or a middle-aged adult, it's a lot more difficult, and it's uh, it still is. Uh, so my connections with the university presses, you know, didn't parlay at all into uh, trade publishing or fiction because I was used to academic publishing. So it was, a, you know, it was a different kind of experience. And had I gone to uh, be a major in creative writing, I think it would have helped. Um, but I did learn a lot at working at Princeton University Press in terms of editing and um, production design, etc. So I was very fairly knowledgeable. Yeah, I think it's it's important, kind of in some cases, anyway. So, um, so what's your process? How do you how do you decide um, the idea behind a book, or, or how do you start to imagine a book? Um, when you're going to sit down and write? Every book is different. Um, there are several of my titles that I can honestly say I sort of channeled a character. Um, one day I was sitting on my deck, for example, and minding my home business, and this voice came in, and he was a young gay guy, a, an opera singer, and he started chatting and he was so funny that I rushed into my computer and typed in his name that he gave me, and his history, and there he was. And that's happened several times to me where a character will come through like that, either a name or how he looks or his background. Other times, it's a setting. Uh, my first book, Jenny Kidd, was set in Venice because I spent quite a bit of time there, and I, I was fascinated with the dark and the light of, of the uh uh, the, of the city itself, its beauty and its sort of macabre feeling, you know, once the lights went down. Uh, so setting is important. And for this particular book, Double Crossed, this was sort of a what if kind of start. What if you thought you found the perfect lover? What kind of trouble could you get into with a start like that? <laughs> <laughs> so that was really how Double Crossed came about, uh, pretty much. It was just making me think, well, what kind of situation, you know, would that be and what would happen? Yeah. When you when you say um, how the setting is important, do you, do you actually create the setting or write the setting as a character? Usually, yes. Um, uh a lot of my life, I've also been a fine arts photographer, so the visual is very important to me. And as I say, I also have a background in design. So I often pay a great deal of attention to my surroundings. So Double Cross was, was uh, typical. And I had a house in mind that I had lived in for a short while that I used as the one of the characters. 
and I found that that was very useful, and that that has often been the case for, for me. And sometimes I do sketches and drawings to, to so I know where I am in the house and what the house looks like, or um, you know, do maps, different kinds of uh, visual uh, aids to assist me and to keep me on track so that I remember which room I'm in or how I get to, from one place to the other. Do you, do you, does it matter um, where, what city you live in and, and where it's, it's taking place? Do you have to go there to get the feel of the city or the place that you're writing about? I prefer to. Or, you know, as a photographer, I've often taken a lot of um, images of different places, so I can rely on those as well as my memory and then on things online to sort of help me. Like, you know, with Venice, I had maps and guidebooks and and things like that. For my newest book, Once Upon an Island, which is set uh, in St. Croix in the Virgin Islands in 1966, believe it or not, I had a great scrapbook that I wrote when I was 16, and I had stuffed a lot of notes in there and, and bits of writing, and so... I had quite a bit of information about uh, that particular place, which was very inspiring for me. You know, it's interesting. Um, you, you talk about uh, you know, visualizing, and, and you have that uh, artistic background, and you're also talking about hearing your characters. And I just find it interesting because we usually have writers who either are very visual or they're more into the being able to hear their characters. But it sounds like you have a balance. Is, is, that, is, is that correct, that you have a balance between these two, uh, the visual and the audio? Yes, I think so. And um, because I have very strong visual uh, you know, background and strengths, that does help. So if I'm in an environment, I do notice little details, which when you're writing, if you can sort of – Make 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 a setting sparkle by just a, a little phrase or so, some kind of description that really pins the reader to the place and gives that sense of authenticity uh, to the work that I think is really important. When you know when you hit that in a book, I think that really makes the reader feel good about trusting the author uh, and to read the work uh, ha- quite happily. So, yeah, I think I am pretty balanced. I do a lot of dialogue, and uh, I work on those very hard because that's something I struggle with because I tend to truncate dialogue a little bit, so Mm. I'm always expanding it. But otherwise, I'd say I am pretty balanced. You're right. Geez, I'm really unbalanced. (laughs) Imbalanced. (laughs) I know that feeling. Yeah. Um, (laughs) So what comes first? Is it the story, the idea, or is it the character? Every book is different. Um, double crossed it was the idea uh, once upon an island it was it was the place and being there when I was 16 and, and that book which happens to be my favorite of the 10 novels I've written uh, that book has a very nostalgic feel because I was there at that time and I did talk about characters people I knew uh, and I of course fictionalized them but uh, that was really important. Other times, it's um, it can be a place that sort of gets me going. So all different reasons, um, and for starting a book. So now, when we when we look at Double Crossed, your main characters um, like Alexandra Wyatt and uh, Marnie Hard Hardwick, how do you 
come up with those characters yourself? Are you finding them from people you've met, um, come across? Were you at a coffee shop one day or a supermarket or, or is it sort of a combination of a lot of characters you've met? Like where, where do they start? Well, the Marty Hardwick character was just slightly based on somebody I knew. Um, but everybody else is pretty, everything else in that story is pretty much fictional except for the house, which I had lived in for a short while, though I made it a Tudor versus a modern. Um, the That story pretty much is 100% imaginary. You just sort of like dream about them and they come to you or do you sort of just sort of write it put it out together or like do you have an actual relationship with your characters uh yeah i think i do and, and you know some of them those that i channel through whatever process that they i get to know them a lot quicker right at the beginning other times like in double crossed i had to get to know the characters they had to evolve so that sort of meant following uh, them as I uh, as I was writing, so that I get I got to know them like you would a new friend or a new person in your life that you just met. Uh, so in a sense, they start to talk about what they would do, and you begin to understand what fits with their particular personality and their background, and what kinds of things they would or would not do, how they would talk what they would dress like, all kinds of things. So in many cases, it's it's a process of getting to know the characters through the whole writing time. And sometimes I have to go back and really adjust things when I feel that the psychology is wrong if, if a character would not have behaved in a certain way. Um, I've studied quite a bit of psychology, and I use that a lot in my work. So I try to be very careful and very accurate when I create a particular type of person. Well, as you're writing, uh, do your characters, do they ever surprise you? Do they uh, kind of take over? Do they, do they uh, you know, go against the plot that you've, uh, <laughs> that you've created in, in your mind as you're, as you're uh, creating the novel? Well, sometimes, like uh, my comedy, the only comedy I've written, which is called Fabulous, an opera buffa, um, the, this was the guy that came to me on the deck, and he was just he was just top speed, um, madcap funny, and uh, he I just was holding on for the ride with him. I mean, he was just <laughs> he was just so much fun, um, and. I just really, just really hung on to his coattail, so to speak. Uh, so I had no idea where that, that one was going. <laughs> just, I just followed his lead. Uh, other books, yeah, I've sort of had to go back and, and, and change, um, characters a little bit when I got to know them better. So do you actually hear your characters then? Uh, those that I've channeled, yeah, like, um, like Gil in Fabulous was definitely had his very, very specific voice. And a guy in another uh, mystery of mine, A Bittersweet Tale, Django Jax, his name appeared to me one morning when I woke up. And when I typed it in, out he came. And I could see he looked a little bit like a, a Nick Nolte kind of character. And his sort of folksy voice just came to me and it's not anybody I you know not a voice I know nobody I, I know was like uh, Django Jacks and 
this also happened with a young adult novel, The Outcast Oracle. Uh, again, not a character I know, uh, not like anyone I know, and with a voice that was, is completely, completely individual. You don't hear these voices while you're out driving, do you? Or... <laughs> like this isn't okay. becoming a problem, is it? <laughs> well, I don't know. I, I, I guess maybe if I'm thinking about what I'm writing, yeah, maybe I do. You're waking up in the middle of the night with muddy shoes or something, you know? Something going on here, you know, we should tell about. <laughs> Quick, we won't oh, tell anyone. Yeah, we won't tell okay, anybody. Okay, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so when you write a book, okay, so Double Cross is out. Now, did you have a, um, let's say, a meaning or something you wanted people to, to, to get from the book besides the story or the entertainment part of it or things like that? Is, is there kind of an underlying subtext or a meaning? Not as much for this book as some others, but I really like the idea of, the title double crossed and in a sense the narrator is is not exactly an unreliable narrator but um she's got her own issues and i think i think the idea of that nobody is quite who they seem particularly marnie hardwick the the lover uh obviously but then there are other layers as the the novel progresses so this is sort of an unpeeling of alex's history her past and how it is all of a sudden crashes into the present so the idea of characters sort of double crossing each other and maybe even in a sense slightly misleading the the reader also, you know, and another subtle kind of double cross is probably the main theme for this book. You find in your process, are you the type that sits down and writes out uh, an outline and you're all organized and you can sit down like nine to five and write um, on any scheduled day? Or do you actually have to be in a certain mood? I write every day where I'm working on some aspect of it, either uh, editing or promoting books, which we now have to do so much of. Um, I am at my desk almost seven days a week, which is sort of unusual, and it's a real privilege to be able to do that because most people have to work or they have a lot of family obligations that make it impossible. Uh, as far as my process goes, I would say that I tend to have sometimes I have an idea where the goal line is at the end other times I really don't uh, double crossed I did not uh, I had an, somewhat of an idea but I really didn't um, I wasn't really sure and in fact I rewrote that ending a couple of times to say the least other times I've got a pretty good idea where I'm going um, but it's pretty much organic writing I I don't I don't write uh, an outline I never have, and I don't sort of make, um, I don't think too far ahead of myself because I really want to learn the characters, grow with the characters, see where the, the characters take me, where the plot goes, and that that excites me. That's part of the fun of writing for me is to surprise myself as much as anybody else. So is the feeling or mood or things going on around you important? Like, do they influence 
you in your writing and maybe the story or maybe some, some of the characters or, or their feelings or attitudes? Um, occasionally, because I'm on my own now, however, um, I don't get as many influences as I used to. And I tend to go back a little bit in pa- into my past and, and sort of pluck things out that uh, either situations, places, or characters, people, um, or problems that I, I maybe didn't resolve back then. Uh, so in that sense, uh, I, I, I'm very past oriented these days, partly due to my age, but uh, it just seems to be a natural process. Well, it's funny, uh, but with things like, you know, like the pandemic and uh, politics and all the stuff going on on the outside, even if you're not right in the in the mix of it, um, do you think that gets into your writing or influences how you write? Did, like, did the pandemic affect your writing? It really didn't because I was already pretty much sitting at my desk all day. <laughs> so um, my life changed not as much as it did for some people that were who were out and about and, and working from ho- away from home. Uh, I think that there is sort of a, a negative feel these days across America and in many parts of the world. And that may be why I, I keep coming back to psychological suspense or mystery because of its sort of noir quality, its darkness. Um, but then um, the book I'm working on right now is is a again another psychological suspense, but it's a psych, it's very psychologically oriented. So yeah, I say I guess it probably creeps in a little bit um, in terms of what I choose to write about. But um, I'm pretty much in my own head and coming up with these things without a lot of influence from the outside. Do you ever feel vulnerable going back into your past and and bringing that uh, into your stories and putting that on the page and then putting it out for uh, the world to see? Good question, uh, David. I, yeah, I do sometimes. Uh, Once Upon an Island in particular, because my mother actually features in the book, and I've made her into more of an ogre than she was, although <laughs> we we had our tussles then. I was 16, and it was the mother-daughter clash of the century. Um, and as I said earlier, I, I, I'm really sort of glad she's not around right now because, she, oh, boy, would I hear about it <laughs> if she read this book. Um so in that sense, it, because I still have friends and relatives that knew my mother, I was a little bit uneasy about having this book published from that perspective because they knew her, even though I exaggerated her behavior hugely in the book. Um, sometimes, you know, when you actually do include something that's got a little bit of an autobiographical feel, that can be a, a little unnerving um, because you know some people are going to get the reference, right? Well, and especially nowadays, because um, in general people have much easier access to you than they ever would have before. You know, social media and stuff. So it's very easy for people to say and do things online publicly uh, about what you've written. So it's it's kind of a it's a little different the world today. Yes, it is. Um, I agree with you. In fact, I don't think that's always a good thing. Um, I was in a book group uh, for quite a few years, and I remember I would do research on some of the authors, uh, and the group would get annoyed with me because they wanted to keep what 
the author was about and what, what kind of history and background the author had separate from the book and just to read the book itself and judge the book on its own merits. And I, I, I really do sort of think that that's the way books should be read for the most part. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a whole new world, you know, we're living in, but, uh, so, um, do you take people, um, that you don't like or really bad people and kill them off in your book? <laughs> <laughs> oh, am I supposed to admit to this, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We we want names and, okay. and phone numbers if you have them, too, because we'll call them and tell them to make sure to listen. <laughs> well, let's see here. I have done that on a few occasions, but not too often. Um, you know, as I said, once upon an island, I sort of did – get after my mother a bit, but she's not around to, to know that. Uh, but other books, Double Cross, the Marnie character, maybe. Um, I was sort of feeling like uh, something had been bothering me over the years, and I wanted to sort of express that. But in most cases, the, the characters are pretty fresh and new, and not necessarily anybody that I, I had in my head from or, or, or knew from my past. So when you when you've completed a book like like Double Crossed or uh, Once Upon an Island, um, how how has it changed you? How how do you find that it's affected you? Well, that's a very interesting question. One I haven't been asked before. <laughs> well, that's what we um, do. <laughs> yeah, let me think. Um, once Especially the time. island one, I was going to say, yeah, because yeah. because there's personal, and like you're saying, you're kind of working through things as well as yeah, the book, that, like you kind of. So I, I, a lot of times I find that and I ask people, kind of, well, what's that done for you? Did it, did it kind of help? Did it kind of take you along? Like what? How has it changed you? Do you think? Well, from Once Upon an Island, when I was 16 and on Saint Croix with my mother, um. I had just read Lord of the Flies, and I decided it would be very interesting to write a novel about living on an island and why people chose to to move to an island and live there. And how would the island affect them? So in many ways, that book had its origins way back when I was a teenager, and it was a promise I made to myself. It took me almost 50-some years to, 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 you know, fulfill, but... I think when I finished reading, writing that particular manuscript, I had the sense of fulfilling that promise, but the nostalgia stayed with me. And that book, every time I, I read another round on it uh, or read the proof, I had this feeling of, of really being torn up. The book really emotionally affected me anew each time. And a number of my readers, um, and some of whom have either lived on or live on St. Croix, who are about my age, had much the same reaction. So I touched something there that I thought was a time and a place, a people, a culture, but also uh, an experience I had that I think other people also had. So that book has never really, even though I finished it and I did what I, I said I was going to do, that book still is going to stick with me to the end. I think so of any book that I want to, to live on, that would be it. Um, double-crossed, well, perhaps I felt finally I'd had my say 
<laughs> about one person I hadn't hadn't liked so well, <laughs> but uh, I I don't know. Each book is different, and I tend to put them aside once I finish writing them. They become a book on a shelf to me for the most part, and they they are no longer mine in a way. They're out there to be read, but um, I have a very hard time even getting back into them to talk about them or to um, you know, answer readers because it's it's like they're, they're, the book is already somebody else's. It's out there. Right. Yeah, I understand that. I, I feel the same way. Um, so you're, you're never going to go back to one of these books and reread it in a few years and kind of go, oh, I should have wrote it this way or, <laughs> or to do changes, you know, because there's a lot of writers that, that want to do that. I have never been tempted, and in fact, people have often asked me, are you going to write a series or a second um, volume to book X? And I say, I don't think so. Uh, it would really be hard for me to get back into that voice, uh, the, the tone. And I sort of feel like, you know, I did that already. I want to do something else. Yeah, and I think once you write a book, once you go through that journey and the book is done, um it 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 changed you, and now you're doing something different. You've been there, done that, and you're moving on. So I think that's kind of that feeling too, right? Yeah, um, I, I I agree, and I I've never reread any of my books. To to be honest, I've reread a few short stories because I had to, you know, pull them together for an anthology or something like that. But other than that, no, I'm never. I have not. I haven't reread any of them, and I don't. Oh, think it's a I scary will. process. No, it's terrible. I'll tell you. Go back you to find your first book. And, oh, yeah, go God. back to your first uh, book and you read it. Yeah, I just can't stand that. I can't. It drives me nuts. You know. <laughs> well, you know, thinking. Uh, speaking of uh, you know short stories, and then you have your novels. Um, do, do you consider yourself a natural short story writer, a natural novelist? Do you have a preference? Well, David, I'm not quite sure because I did write a lot of short stories. Um, I have a collection, Fog and Other Stories, and I have had quite a few others published. But I tend to think I like the longer form better just because uh, maybe I'm, I'm garrulous. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I just feel like uh, it's a good, rich meal to write a novel. It's not just a little quick bite. And though I think short stories are wonderful, and I always advise young writers to write short stories first to discover their style and, you know, to learn. Uh, and I just did actually write a couple of short stories last spring, which was the first time in a while. I think I'm more of a novelist, to tell you the truth. Yeah. How do you know when a book's done? Ah, when it sounds done. <laughs> you, you know how in a symphony or classical music, at the ending, you hear this dun-dun-dun bump. There's just like a... a yeah. It's done. And you know it. And words and lines at the end, that last paragraph, should be like that, like music. And I will fuss and fiddle for days, sometimes switching sentences around, changing words, um, trying to get that feeling of done. 
it's over, it's complete, it's finished. Uh, it's, I think it's one of the most difficult parts about writing is to write an ending that feels finished. Oh. So, uh, you know, if someone has never heard of you or read any of your books and you were to give them one book, what book would you give them? Uh, probably Once Upon an Island. Yeah, I think that that's the one I'm proudest of. Maybe it's just the most recent one, but I, I, I think because that is a my big book in a sense of it, it's it's got a lot of stuff in it, and I like the characters tremendously well. I think they're very interesting. Saint Croix is a magnificent and and varied island, uh, and, and not a lot of people have been there actually. Uh, they've been to Saint Thomas. And so, Plum and St. John, but St. Croix is very unusual. So that would be the, the book that I would probably suggest in terms, and that's, you know, more of a literary work. Um, Double Crossed is great fun for psychological suspense, and I think that that's a good one. Um, and I also have written Some Young Adult and The Outcast Oracle would be my favorite of that group. So uh, what what other um, works would you compare yourself to um, when it comes to psychological suspense? Like what kind of, how, how would you describe that to people? Well, when I first started writing, uh, Patricia Highsmith was a big influence. And what I loved about her work was that sort of spiderweb feeling where the semi-innocent main character would stumble into a mess and then that web would get tighter and tighter and tighter until he or she couldn't get out again, not without a, a really being in danger or without a disaster. So although Highsmith stylistically isn't like my writing, I tend to be a little more, um, a little more literary. I think Highsmith today, if she'd been alive today and, and put down the bottle, <laughs> she would <laughs> she would have probably written a little differently than she did back then, um, because she got away with a lot of writing that was was not not top notch, but her ideas were so good, and uh, and she was so wonderfully creepy that I think <laughs> I think she she was a, a really good beginning writer for me to look at. So I would say that was one um, writer that uh, really influenced me. And the other one, which was absolutely different, is Virginia Woolf, who sort of brought out my literary uh, feelings and my willingness to write the longer, slower novel, um, which is completely different than psychological suspense, where you're supposed to you know, put the hook in the mouth right in the first paragraph. Yeah. Yeah. So you're going to take up drinking? <laughs> I sort of stopped this because I'm bored with it. <laughs> well, I, I still grab a little Prosecco now and then, but. <laughs> Wait, so where do you see yourself um, going with this writing career? Like, what do, what do you have plans for yourself? Well, I have three manuscripts out to various publishers right now, and. Uh, depending on where they go, that will take me in different directions. And I have a project that is, I'm on my 20th, I just finished my 20th round of a manuscript uh, yesterday. Uh, and that will be a psychological suspense. Um, so I really don't know. I mean, I'm at the point now where I, I, I really wish I could have, you know, started back day, <laughs> when I 
didn't go to Bennington and changed everything because public, publishing back then was a much different business than it is now. And without an agent, which I, I had one briefly, but he was elderly and we parted ways. Without an agent and without being picked up by, you know, a trade house, you're really stuck. I mean, you know, there's a huge gap between the small traditional houses and a, a trade house. So I'm finding myself sort of caught in between, which isn't really a very comfortable place. And I don't really know how to, um, you know, get out of it. Uh, and I think many, many writers are in the same position that I'm in right now. Yeah, I think that's the nature of the beast right now, you know. And Amazon's really changed the world of publishing, you know. And and the, and the, and the internet and uh, social media and all that. Um, do, do you find that um, there's a lot more involved in marketing these days? I've watched that change dramatically, even over the number of years I've been uh, publishing. Uh, it used to be that some publishers, smaller houses, had their a publicist or were willing to hire one at their expense. Now that's happening less and less, if ever. And the onus has totally, almost completely shifted to the author. And, you know, this is really, it's asking a lot because, at least from my side, I am not the type that loves to <laughs> to sit and talk about my work. I, I just want to get it done. <clears throat> so it's really a slog for me to have to uh, approach reviewers and bloggers and podcasters and print media and say either, you know, would you review the book? I mean, it's just very uncomfortable. Uh, it's, it comes much better from another party. But this is the way it is because these small publishers don't have any budget for this. And so they expect more and more of the of their writers to have platforms and well-established social media contacts and I have quite a few, uh, you know, and I certainly do my best, but it's it's sort of the antithesis of what I want want to do, what I'm really comfortable doing, and I think that's true of many writers. Yeah, it's a it's a completely different uh, side of 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 writing because you know you have to talk to people like us. It's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm lucky that there are people like you who are are so kind to do this because. Uh, you, you, you know, these podcasts are wonderful ways of dealing with um, promotion and meeting new people like yourselves. And uh, I'm, I'm really grateful, uh, considering, you know, how much difficulty it is to have to keep up with all these different writers and read books and 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 do that kind of thing. Oh, it's insane! It's insane, especially as you get older and you can't see. And then you have to listen to books. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a different story. Um, so now you brought up a, a subject before when we were before we were on air, and I think that's really a, kind of an interesting thing. So you're talking about bridge writing. So maybe talk about that a little bit. Okay. Well, I, I do consider myself a bridge writer in two ways. One, I don't just stick to one genre which I think most writers do stay within an area, and that's partly because publishers want them to keep, if they've had success, they want them to keep churning out similar kinds of books so they can establish a readership and a market. Um, I have written young adult, 
I have written literary. I have written psychological suspense, um, a romance, um, and you know, and, and a comedy. Fabulous. I write the book that seems to want to be written, the one that comes to me, rather than think about who am I writing this book for. Uh, the other area that I feel like I'm a bridge writer is I don't necessarily have a, a baked-in audience. Some of my books are completely for heterosexual readers in the sense that the characters are completely heterosexual and the plots are too. Some um, are published by lesbian or gay presses and just by accident uh, because I have some gay characters in there. On occasion, I mix the two. I really feel like I just sort of write between those areas and those for those different readers. Uh, and as a result, it's sort of tough to pin me down and say, well, I'm this kind of writer or I'm that kind of writer. And I, I am best read by these people. I don't think that way. I am just, I really have a lot of range and that's what I take pleasure in. That's what I enjoy. Mm. So now, are are you big on social media? Do you interact with readers? Do you like doing that sort of thing, or do you do website? How do you, how do you have yourself set up now? Well, I'm I'm frequently on Facebook, and uh, I also have a website, which is my name, Laurie A Egan, and it's dot com. Uh, I am on Twitter, though I'm a little uncomfortable about being on Twitter these days. Uh, I do occasional Instagram posts and I have a blog. Uh, I also maintain authors pages at Authors Guild in New York, uh, Poets and Writers, Amazon, uh, Goodreads and other places. So I would say, I, you know, I, I pretty much keep up with what's going on and, and I'm always happy to hear from readers or, or to answer questions. I think that's just a lot of fun. I'm, I'm always fascinated listening to what people's thoughts are about various books, um, or even books I haven't, I haven't written myself. Uh, that's a great pleasure. Yeah. So do, do you like to, um, go through your reviews? Do you like to, to read reviews and are you stay up on that or do you just totally stay away from it? I will, I will absolutely read them because I think, I think it's something that, gives you some information, uh, some feedback, because uh, I don't have a lot of beta readers that read my work. I have a few. So I don't always get a lot of information about what I've done. And so, yes, it, it, as long as it's a constructive review, even if it's slightly negative, I, you know, I want to, I'd like to know about it. I'd like to read it. Yes. Do you hunt them down, kill them, kill them in your book? <laughs> you know? Um, not really, and but you know, usually Not I'll really. get a link. I'll get, I'll, I'll get a link to um, a review that may be from a a journal or someplace that I have requested a review, so I'll read it then. And occasionally, I'll look at Amazon just because I just want to know how active uh, the book is in terms of sales. But you know, I don't go out of my way. But you know, these things I, I usually hear about them one way or the other. Oh, geez, I look for them. I take them out. <laughs> no, that's there. Anybody you want to work with? Any other writer or someone out there that you've sort of seen that you kind of go, wow, that would well, be really there are a couple, awesome. 
Yeah, a couple of writers I I I would love to sit down and have a, that that old glass of prosecco with. Uh, Kate Atkinson is one of my very favorite writers. Um, she just makes me laugh. She writes wonderful mysteries, uh, and I I would say you know she would be a favorite of mine. Uh, I would love to talk to her. Uh, there are a bunch of others. Um, I've been reading a lot of Scandinavian noir authors these days. Uh, I'm just just finished a Joe Nesbo book, and uh, so some of them I would like to talk to. Um, and I would be a, I would be totally flummoxed, but I would love to be able to sit down with Virginia Woolf and talk to her or listen to her. Are you going to write any kind of weird? Are you going to be writing horror or anything like that in the future? I have no idea. Uh, I I tend to write. The, the, uh, I've written two books that, that have magical realism in them. Um, the Swimmer was one, and I have a, a two partly linked novellas that I'm sending out to publishers right now. So the magical realism thing has sort of intrigued me a little bit. And of course, those are literary books. Um, so I might do that again. I have a, a, an, an idea about um, a, a person who's watching an opera who gets involved and interested in an opera singer. And that might be sort of a Nightwood, like the Juno Barnes kind of thing, uh, a little along those lines. I'm not sure, but I might go back to that after I finish the current project. But in terms of getting into something really different, no, I don't think I would. No, too much, too much work, <laughs> <laughs> too ag- too much agonizing, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Well, that's certainly it's certainly interesting. And um, now, of course, we're going to have your uh, we'll put your website up and and all that so people can find you and. Uh, and uh, one click. They don't have to worry about spelling your name correctly. They can just do it. <laughs> um, well, it's, it's great. So now um, the books we've been talking about, of course, is Double Crossed and uh, Once Upon an Island. And our guest is the author of those and many more, which you should look, uh, Laurie A. Egan. Thank you for being here. Well, thank you both. It's been a lot of fun. Some great questions. Thanks, Laurie. prepared legacy food storage the best way to protect your family is by being prepared go now to legacyfoodstorage.com use coupon code HOM15 now for 15% off quick go welcome back into the house of mystery now for the rest of our show we are playing out with a couple of the new Paul Manchin songs. Now, Paul Manchin, his music's available on Amazon Music, and, of course, you can find him on YouTube. And all the links, of course, will be up on our website, so we hope you enjoy. So what we're playing here now is two of his songs, and one's called Someone New, and it's the Black Jack remix. And the other song's called If I Had a Dream. And that's an extended remix, so we hope you enjoy.
You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.